policy is the last thing to change. It's it's sort of the last line of, of social change. But the front line, right, are kind of stories and culture and culture changes attitudes. And when you change attitudes, it helps lead to policy changes. And I think we have to look at, again, trying to better society, progress society from all aspects of it and, and, and use what we know and use, you know, try to make that change within our own industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of We Have No Idea. I am your host, Adrian Walker. And today we have another special guest with us, award-winning filmmaker, director of ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary, Be Water, about Bruce Lee, which debuted at Sundance. Please welcome Bao Wen. Bao, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Adrian. So uh, there's so much to go through. I want to first, I guess, get the audience a little bit more acclimated to who you are and the, and the wonderful work you've done. I will start off by saying Be Water tops the list of of any documentary content about Bruce Lee. Congrats again with just getting out uh, something that's been so beneficial for so many people, especially this year in 2020. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I've been, uh, it's been a a strange year, uh, to say the least, for everyone, but definitely to to release a film. Um, But I'm really grateful that the reception has been um, so, you know, heartfelt. and it's made my 2020 a little a little easier. <laughs> yeah, a little relief uh, for all of us, for all of us. So I'll start by maybe uh, going going back a little bit in history first before we really dive into the to the, the deep parts of the, of the documentary. But uh, couldn't help but notice that a lot of your films uh, that you've directed or been a producer on or cinematographer on um, often deal with uh, neglected and misunderstood subjects, you know, from... Uh, transgender to tsunami survivors to uh, Cambodian refugees to miners in Indonesia to um, non-traditional monks and, and and the list goes on and on. You 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 tackle these really again ne- often neglected and complex topics. Um, and just kind of curious, you know what what is inspires you um, as a filmmaker to 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 tackle these subjects and to tell these stories. Well, you, you really deep dived into my filmography there. I was like, <laughs> which project is that? I was like, oh yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> we but, try. Uh, we yeah, try. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Appreciate the research. Um, for me, it's just uh, every story has a value, right? Every story has a meaning. It's just that's sort of one of my jobs as a filmmaker, right? Is to find meaning and value in, in all these different stories. And um it can go, as you said, from like Indonesian miners to someone like Bruce Lee, right? And it kind of runs a full spectrum of things. And I think, um, you know, what attracts me are, are stories that have sort of universal um, values and universal themes, but lend itself to a, a world um, that maybe I don't necessarily belong in or the, the audience doesn't necessarily belong in, right? Um, and uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot, not just in my work, but just in general. And I think it, that travel has like opened up my mind to, to all the different types of people out there, types of communities, types of culture. And I, I'm drawn to the, the stories that, that show sort of just a different lens of, of something that feels a little familiar. 
so even with like Bruce Lee, it's you know everyone knows the name Bruce Lee, right? And but they don't necessarily know who he was as a person, and they feel like um, in many ways they think of him just as a as a action hero or a, a martial arts icon. So I, I wanted to like view it through a lens that was a bit more personal to me, and that that's the Asian American immigrant or the the American immigrant. Um, for me, I, I always just think like no matter what the topic, no matter what the story is, like, how do I find the meaning in that? For sure. And you, you bring up a good point. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your, your parents uh, were Vietnamese immigrants or is it better to say refugees? I guess refugees because it wasn't, I mean, it was less of a choice for them. I think immigrants make more of a choice to leave their country, but uh, my parents in a way, because they were part of South Vietnam, their country no longer existed. Right. Um, right. So yeah, I, I guess refugees is more appropriate. Right. And as we see in the story, uh, be water and, and how you highlight the story and the narrative that again, giving a more personal look behind Bruce Lee, this, this legendary icon, um, you know, he, he was, uh, an immigrant, had an immigrant story coming over to the United States at 18, even though he was born in the United States, really returning to the United States. Uh, and you tell that story about the whys and the hows, um, but really with almost no money in his pocket, 18 years old, you know, kind of shipped off. Was that a personal thing that you felt with this particular story uh, in your own personal experience? Can you, can you walk us through, you know, what was it growing up like for you, you know, being second generation and um, being a Vietnamese American, you know, were you deeply connected to this story from a long time before you made it? Um, or was this something that you, you grew to, to, to really love about the story as you immersed yourself in it? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say it was the latter in many ways. And just to give your listeners some context, yeah, my parents were, they were in Vietnam uh, and left Vietnam in the late 1970s, a few years after the war. Um, they, they left by boat, were out at sea for two weeks, not knowing where they would land. And eventually they arrived to the shores of Hong Kong, where they were in a refugee camp for for six months before they finally made it to America. They were sponsored over to America. And I was born a few years after that. So when they came to America, they didn't really have uh, much connection. My mom had an older sister who was here. But other than that, it was sort of a brand new life, brand new homeland for them. And they also didn't have much money. And I, I saw in, in sort of just the pre-research of the film, I, I knew that this was part of Bruce Lee's story. But I felt like it, it never became a central part of his story in past tellings of, it, of, his, um, of his narrative, right? It's, it's always sort of Bruce Lee, the, 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 again, the superhero or the invincible action star. And Is Bruce Lee your hero? Yes. Tell me what you like about him. He, he's, he always wins the bad guys and he's a very quick mover. I was like, I want to sort of unpack all of that and, and see Bruce Lee for the vulnerable side because I think that's how I related to him. As you said, it, it was important for me to find those parallels just because I think um, it gave me a personal perspective on the story. Uh, given that I'm not related to Bruce Lee in any way, I, I think for me it's important to make the film feel personal because it, you just I think you just, as a viewer, you, you sort of feel that. You feel like that filmmaker made a conscious decision. They had an intention and um, it feels like a, a film that only they could have told in that perspective. And I hope viewers get that with, with Be Water that was told through an Asian American perspective, through an Asian 
you know, immigrant perspective. And that was very, again, deliberate. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I think reframing or just reiterating Bruce Lee's story as an American story is really important for me. And uh, that that was one of the main, like, themes of the film, as you can probably tell by watching it. What I took away from it, especially with its release in 2020, by the way, Bob, was that on purpose? Had that been planned or was that? You know, there's a perfect timing to, to release this film. <laughs> For like, sure. If I could predict the pandemic and, uh, you know, all the thing, crazy things that were going to happen in 2020, I, I would have said, like, let's not release it in 2020. <laughs> uh, but given the pandemic, um, it had, you know, no one was playing sports. And um, The Last Dance was, was such a conversation starter. Um, we decided to move up the broadcast date um, to June. And, you know, the end of May was when the really uh, horrific murder of George Floyd happened. And that became, that started a new conversation in America. You know, we were already in the middle of the pandemic and then we were having this racial reckoning and then be water comes out. And it, it was a strange time for me to release the film I mean, again, 2020 is strange enough, but to be releasing the film, you know, a couple weeks after George Floyd's murder and when everyone was starting to go out on the streets to protest, I was talking, you know, about my film, about Bruce Lee to the press. And it felt, it felt like weird to be talking about the film when all these things were going on. And, and but when people watched the film, they felt it was really timely and they felt it was really urgent and, that was never my intention, but you know, it goes to show this type of tumult that's happening in America is not anything new that's been happening since the 1960s. The violence we saw was white. We saw Negroes hosed and beaten, harassed with dogs, cattle prod. I was I was very grateful to get messages from um, many activists after the broadcast premiere saying, you know, we we had such a time of grief or we were still kind of grieving during COVID. And then we were so angry during, um, you know, the protests and still are angry, but you know, the story of Bruce Lee was sort of this welcome break, this moment of breath in a way that was inspiring. And, and I think that, you know, that shows Bruce Lee's sort of timeless, you know, quality his his, how much of his, he is as an icon and a symbol of the underdog and, and the, the oppressed and uh i i mean yeah i'm i'm grateful that people got to see the film at this time and 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 to, to answer your question this you know no it was not planned <laughs> well it was a welcome coincidence i i found it very obviously very timely and very refreshing because of the perspective because we as well as many people feel that there is and has kind of been a lack of the Asian American, not as a monolith, but as, you know, different Asian American voices in the conversation in a mainstream way. So to see it to me was such a refreshing take on, on something as, as iconic as Bruce Lee. And again, our podcast and we are based in Oakland. So uh, Bruce Lee's original studio is still here. They still teach his, his Wing Chun here just 10 minutes from us. So a lot of connections to him. And um, I'll touch a little bit more on the immigrant piece and, and start to move it into um, this missing voice that I'm alluding to and kind of get your thoughts on that, Bao. You touch on so many great points in telling this story, but there's this terminology used in the documentary uh, of people that you're interviewing 
in, in reference to Bruce Lee is, is what they call a mid-Pacific man. That terminology, that term basically says you're neither Chinese or American. And when I, when I saw that and I heard it, the first thing that popped into my head is one of my favorite writers and activists, James Baldwin. And he says, to be African-American is to be African without any memory and American without any privilege. And, I, and that, that's the first thing that came to mind when I was seeing this. And, and I wonder, Bao, do you think if you just change out the name African-American to be Chinese-American, do you think that's analogous? Yeah, I mean, totally. I think, uh, you know, Baldwin was a contemporary of Bruce Lee in some ways. Um, and I mean, Baldwin's one of my favorite writers as well. And he, he actually, we actually had a scene about with James Baldwin in the film where we cut it for time. Uh, <laughs> really? It was one of his lines from um, his famous Buckley debate, right? And um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of overlap with Baldwin and, and sort of the Asian, Asian American experience. And the, the quote that we were going to use in the film was Baldwin talking about, um, you know, when you see Gary Cooper killing the Indians. It comes as a great shock to discover that Gary Cooper killing off the Indians when you were rooting for Gary Cooper, that the Indians were you. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, Baldwin was so kind of cognizant of, of sort of media depictions, right? He was, he was a huge film cinephile. And I think, um, I don't remember because I, I was lucky enough to kind of see all of Bruce Lee's books that he he read. I don't re- I don't recall seeing Baldwin there, but I, I imagine like someone like you know Kareem uh, talking about you know Kareem Abdul Jabbar, who who was one of Bruce's students, who was also very much a teacher to Bruce Lee in terms of you know Black Liberation Movement and civil rights. I, I would imagine he talked about things like that and and sort of the the intersectionality of, of the you know Black American experience and and the asian american experience um and you know for bruce i think he was sort of he was quite an optimist in in many ways and i think the way that baldwin sort of saw it as as not to say the two negative sides of being either african or american bruce tried to see the positive side of being asian and american right he tried to utilize uh, the best of, of these two identities that he had. Um, as most Americans are taught to assimilate to America, right? They're taught to be a quote-unquote right. American. But Bruce was, I'm going to take the best side of my Asian culture, my Hong Kong side, in the form of Wing Chun, the form of martial arts, and show that as my best self and teach that to America. And in a way that would, the, the Wing Chun, the Kung Fu assimilated into America and became part of America instead of the other way around. And that's like a beautiful concept of America, right? The bringing the best of where you came from and it becoming part of American culture. I mean, it, it can swing way in the other end of the pendulum where then you kind of forget the origins of it. <laughs> but I think um, Bruce was an example of, of sort of the hyph- hyphenate American in its best form. Because, you know, the thing is, when he went back to China, too, or Hong Kong, I should say, he was looked down upon, right? His acceptance uh, there was not full, and I think that made him work harder, in a way. Uh, he, he was sort of that personality that he's just, he's not going to take, you know, shit. Can I say shit on the show? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, he, he wouldn't take shit from anyone, right? Right. And, 
right. and shit from people that didn't know who he was. And he was, I mean, he was very much in sort of like cultivating himself as an individual and like the world around him was trying to give him this, this identity. Right. But he was just trying to be Bruce Lee. And um, I mean, in, in a way that could have been naive, he, there, there's a certain um, privilege in, in being able to do that in some ways, but you know, he came from a privileged background is, his mom was from a pretty wealthy European family. His dad was a, a Cantonese opera singer. Um, so I think that that confidence that he had worked well for him in, in many ways. Uh, in some ways, it also made him seem arrogant to Hollywood. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, what Baldwin said and, and, and what Lee believed were very similar. And, you know, another thing that Baldwin had going for him is that he, you know, he left America and was living in Paris. So he had that critical distance, right. right? Um, um, from and able to kind of view like America and, and it's sort of struggle from, from afar, but in a way that I think that gave him, yeah, a lot more, um, perspective. It goes to show like, uh, people like Baldwin and Bruce Lee, they're ahead of their time. And they, there's something that we can learn from them even to today. I've ever seen a story told about Bruce Lee, which I would say really portrays him as an activist, he, naturally falling into that role, but then taking it on, like you said, never started anything, but to your point, you know, never really took shit either. You know, he just created his own lane. He did not allow the world to define what was supposed to happen. And a lot of his first students were very diverse. I mean, his first student listed in the film was African-American and obviously uh, taught uh, what would then become his wife, Linda, uh, a Caucasian American woman. So he, he was breaking so many rules and, and with his passing, you know, someone who had such a strong figure, a strong, someone who broke the barriers of being a masculine male role in mainstream media, which I would still argue to this day is still very void for Asian-Americans. In general, with his death, it, it created that vacuum. Bao, do you think that that's still a vacuum today? And do you think that's a void? Well, certainly it's a void. I think if, if you know you're still asking the question, then that means it's still a problem, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, there is this, this writer Juno Diaz has this great line. Um, he says that there's this idea that monsters don't have a reflection in the mirror, right? And so if you want to turn a human being into a monster, you deny them at a cultural level um, their own reflection. And I think for the longest time, Asian, Asian Americans felt like they've been denied their reflection, right? They've been stereotyped into playing villains, sidekicks, never, never the romantic lead, always sort of the comic relief. And, and yeah, Bruce Lee changed that. He sort of changed the paradigm but at the same time, he passed away 40 years ago, and he's sort of the last big example of Asian-American representation, I would say, on, on a mass scale. You can, you can point to little moments like Joy Luck Club, Crazy Rich Asians, Mulan. But I'm, that's three films in the last you know, 30 years, in a way. Um, and not to say that the industry isn't changing. Obviously, there has been attempts, especially this year, there, there's a lot of re-examination of, of our industry, but I don't think it's enough. It's it's sort of become trendy. It's become like a corporate strategy, right? The idea of yeah. diversity and representation. And it's not 
we're not like looking at it and examining it for its intrinsic value of like why it matters that uh, a Vietnamese person, a Vietnamese American is part of, of, you know, making a film that's about Vietnam, right? Vietnam has become synonymous with a war, right? When I say right. Vietnam, it's automatically, oh, you're talking about the Vietnam War. And I was like, I, for me to hear that as, you know, my parents, be, that being their homeland, it, it's sort of like, kind of chips away at my soul a bit. Like if you, if you're the name of your parents' homeland becomes a, a, a loss of innocence for an American foreign policy, it's not, you know, it just, it, it becomes part of your psyche. And, and so I think the conversation about representation, the conversation about who gets to tell our stories is so important because when you look at sort of the lived experiences of, of people who have been marginalized and, and especially BIPOC communities and, you know, LGBTQ communities, um, we feel like, you know, the trauma, the, the prejudice, discrimination that we've lived our whole life, like when we tell those stories today and when we're able to kind of be part of this retelling of those stories, it, it makes it more personal. Like going back to like one of your first questions, like, Bruce Lee's um, journey as an immigrant, Ameri- as a you know American immigrant, and you know coming from Hong Kong, I, I could relate to that because of my parents' journey, and that I think hopefully that added value to the film. And I think for the most part, when you have someone who can and can talk about that experience on a personal level, it 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 makes the film better. I think as as filmmakers, as people in the industry, we should all be striving to make better films, better art, right? instead of just thinking, oh, I'm going to throw in, uh, you know, an Asian writer in the writer's room, just so I said I had an Asian writer, right? But not, you know, really give that person agency, agency over their story, agency over the work. And again, our, our, our racial reckoning, it's not just looking at the institutions of government and policing, but it's our cultural institutions as well, and how, how we can right the wrongs of the past and and sort of reshape the narratives i think it's so important for us as storytellers as filmmakers to to work in our own industry to make those changes um you know i had a friend my friend eddie huang right he used to be a lawyer he was working for like uh, a civil rights organization and then he he stopped and and became a writer he wrote his memoir and then you know he's dabbling in film and tv now and he told me that when he was working as a lawyer, he realized like it's, it's sort of the last line of, of social change, but the front line, right, are kind of stories and culture and culture changes attitudes. And when you change attitudes, it helps lead to policy changes. And I think we have to look at, again, trying to better society, progress society from all aspects of it and, and, and use what we know and use you know, try to make that change within our own industry. And, and I, you know, going back to the earlier part of your question of Bruce being an activist, he wasn't an activist in the sense that Marlon Brando was an activist sort of, you know, shoulder to shoulder with, with Harry Belafonte and Martin Luther King, right? But he was an activist because he was showing up on screen as himself, being authentically himself, playing a hero, not, not sort of falling into the stereotypes. In the film... Jeff Chang, uh, you know, cultural critic, he, he has one of my favorite lines. He says, like, you know, Bruce's presence was a protest. And I think that really encapsulates Bruce's activism in so many ways. Yeah, I, I was watching an interview with you and you, you were saying, you know, I don't know if he's a friend or not, 
Um, but Ocean Vuong, the poet, uh, you said once kind of told you that people of color are, are oftentimes kind of expected to tell more of narratives around memoirs, you know, in, in kind of being a guide uh, for, for white America. And that Bruce wasn't about that. And, and he was about creating his own narrative. That also hit me again when I heard you say that. And again, watching the documentary again and putting these pieces together and how analogous that is for, for all people of color in this country. Um, and, and the thing that made me think about it from the film, quite honestly, when you said that, um, was uh, kind of the phenomenon of Black Panther and, and the analogies that your film Be Water talks about with Bruce Lee and Fist of Fury. Um, you know, Fist of Fury is, is for the audience, you know, it was set against the backdrop of colonialism in, in China, in Hong Kong, um, British rule, um, and the built-up tension at that time. There were protests going on at the time that the film was, 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 was made. Um, the tension was building, and it was very analogous to what was going on here in the United States and across the world in 2020. And, and what we saw with Black Panther was, again, an audience and a community and a society that was ready to see a story that wasn't necessarily nothing to knock these stories because I think all stories need to be told, but it wasn't 12 years a slave. It wasn't a slavery movie. It wasn't heavy, you know, which are the, are the films that we tend to see come out in Hollywood uh, for African-Americans. And, and a lot of the same is true for Latinx filmmakers, the heavier stories, the memoirs, the truth telling the guide where black Panther kind of throws that aside and, and creates a superhero, creates its own narrative, creates its own lane, creates its own story that's not what you expect. And, and Bruce seemed to, to have done that as well and led the way in that. Uh, do you see these analogies and do you see yourself as a filmmaker pressing yourself to continue to do things like that? Or do you say, I just want to make great stories uh, and tell of the human experience. And if I can do that in ways that people are entertained, we're going to do that. Yeah, well, that's a great question, and and to, yeah, give your listeners context again of what Ocean said. I, I'm I'm like an acquaintance of Ocean. I wish like him and I were like basketball buddies or something, <laughs> you know. Um, but, so sure. what Ocean said um, was, and I heard it right before we started editing the film, and it was really formative to to, to of how I approached the storytelling, of the film, and the themes of the film. Um, but what Ocean basically said is, you know, he had a really great sort of uh, collection of poems that did very well. And after that collection came out, his publisher is like, oh, you need to make a memoir next because that's what sells, right? As an artist of color, as a writer of color, as a poet of color, that's what's going to get you like, you know, a lot of eyes. And, right. and that's that expectation again of like, us as BIPOC artists, we're expected to sort of be tour guides into our own worlds, right? Um, yeah. But we're not, we're not allowed to be world builders. We can't be craftspeople. We can't be artisans. We're not allowed to just, yeah, let, let our, our, our craft speak for itself. We, we only could be um, these guides to our, our, our trauma in many ways. And, and yeah, I mean, you bring it up quite on the, on the nose with like saying like there's an expectation for the black community and make films like 12 years a slave. And that's, what's going to win you an Oscar. But you know, black Panther, that's why it was so revolutionary because it was building this world um, of black excellence in so many ways. I mean, it, it, it was beautiful too. Cause I remember I saw it at the Chinese theater or TCL uh, in LA on opening night. And it was just, you know, 
young kids of all different ages, different creeds, different races, like dressed up as Black Panther. Um, you know, Chadwick was there. He surprised the audience and he entered the <laughs> film. It just, oh, wow. People went crazy. And it, yeah. You know, I, there's something analogous to like Chadwick's death and Bruce's death in many ways. I'm, I, uh, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I just thought about that as well. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It just shows, you know, Chadwick did such a great job in sort of like creating a multifaceted black American, right? Man. Right. That, that could be anything that could be a superhero that could be, you know, Supreme Court justice. And I mean, he was great at obviously doing these biopic uh, films, um, but then he makes Black Panther as well. And it, yeah, it just, that's, that's sort of, I think Bruce would have loved to do the same. Like he would have loved to like really showcase. And, and I, this is not contradicting what I said, where when we said we don't want it necessarily have to be tour guides, but and in a place where there's this Pulitzer Prize winning author, Viet Thanh Nguyen says there's narrative scarcity when it comes to Asian American stories, right? Yeah. There's not enough narratives about us. So we do have to tell the stories of our past. Right. But again, that's, that's not, we shouldn't be beholden to only telling those stories. And, and that's the next step, I think, in the conversation with representation is like, what stories can we tell beyond our own stories? Like, can we build worlds? Can we, can we make that sci-fi epic? Can we make a Star Wars? Can we make a Black Panther right. and Native Americans? And yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of the formation of mythology that is important to me as a filmmaker and, and looking at how mythology plays and and how we think about people and how we treat other people you know a long time ago obviously the the british mythology the the sort of the ones that i read a lot was a arthurian legend right and because of you know king arthur and the knights of the round table you think of england great britain the uk as, as being a very uh, uh civil and uh chivalrous um <laughs> right. civilization right. but because we have <laughs> You know, we have mythologies like, like the theory and legend, right? And right, right. and um, we don't have that necessarily in, in the Asian American. Of course, there are Asian mythologies, but it's not as prevalent and not, you know, it's not pushed into the mainstream as as others, especially European mythologies. And I think, you know, Bruce Lee, in a way, by default, became part of the Asian American mythology. He passed right. away young. Yeah. And he's the only sort of heroic myth that we have now. And he's based on a real person and it's like one person. So I think we would love to have more mythologies and myths that, that even myths that we can take for granted because we, we don't have enough to take for granted. Right. Right. And, and do you think a part of that, that innovation, you know, again, Bruce Lee kind of said, you know, if Hollywood won't have me, I'll create my own lane. Um, do you think that next innovation in filmmaking to tell this broader scape of stories, uh, through uh, Asian American lenses, do you think some of that has to do with, uh, we always are interested in how different things tie together, how the capital markets tie that money financing, you know, film financing for those that don't know is its own world within its own world. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm sure you as a filmmaker know it quite well. Um, You know, film financing is a big piece of whose stories gets told, what narratives get told. Do you see that as an innovation that can easily be bridged nowadays or do you think that there's some things that systematically have to happen to allow more film financings of stories that, to your point, could be considered just like in your documentary, you know, Bruce Lee being told that's too risky. It's too risky uh, to put to, to cast a, you know, a Chinese American 
uh, lead into that kind of a role. Do you do you think that that is that kind of stigma is still going on in film fi- financing today? I mean, I would say that it's it's not like one it's not a one size fits all model, right? It's got to be a multi pronged approach to this, and and I think the old adage to think that like oh, you know, films with an Asian or diverse cast aren't going to do well doesn't hold up anymore. If you look at you know, there's research from I think USC did research saying like films that have diverse casts actually perform better in the box office nowadays. Yeah, correct. I, you know, I, I'm a practical person. I know that Hollywood is show business, right? They, they're, uh, they're, they're, they need to make a profit. Right. Yep. Um, so, but I think now you can't deny the fact that films like fast and the furious and black Panther, crazy rich Asians films that have very diverse cast and behind the, you know, camera um, crew perform very well. So I, I don't think Hollywood can hide behind the, that anymore like they did maybe during Bruce Lee's time where they said, like, America wasn't ready for an Asian hero. I think America is ready for good stories, right, and good <laughs> films. And if you look at Bruce Lee and watch a Bruce Lee film, like, he is so dynamic and so magnetic. Like, right. how can you not? Transcends you know, Yeah, I mean Executives are in the business of, like, finding people who just with star power and yeah. Bruce you know, uh, dispute that onto screen. And, and to answer your question about systemic changes, systematic changes, um, I think the people who have green light power, those roles have to be more diverse, right? Those positions of power. And, right. and it's starting to happen. You know, there's a lot more executives who are um, Black, Latinx, Asian. And I think um, that will start snowballing down to the stories that are being told um, and, you know, the crew that's being hired and and the talent that's on camera wonderful yeah i agree i agree well with that i know we're we're wrapping up on time here so thanks so much for being with us bow today uh best of luck by the way uh at the 93rd academy awards um we do hope that uh we see you know be water up there as a nominee uh, well, thank you for having me, Adrian. It was a really great conversation. Um, yeah, fingers crossed uh, about award season. Uh, I've, I've been very grateful, again, to, to be able to show the film to so many audiences already this year. If, if people haven't seen Be Water, it is uh, available to rent on you know all the different VOD platforms. Um, also, you can sign up for ESPN Plus and watch it there. It's funny, a lot of people reached out to me and said they, when they watched it, they watched it with their grandparents or their parents, and it was sort of this family bonding experience. So if, you know, ask, you know, if you're, you're part of a certain generation, ask your parents what, you know, what their entry point to Bruce Lee is. And it's, it's sort of this family film that I never intended to make a family film. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a nice feeling, you know, build some connection within generations, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, everyone go check it out. Thanks again, Bao. Appreciate your time. Best of luck. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you so much. Bye.